Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. What a script. I seen Elaine and went and seen uh, had time to take a shot and you know luckily and went in and uh, yeah, there's a the celebration there. Here we go. There it is. Talk about uncomfortable. That's Brady Kachuk. Oh see Brady Kachuk went after him. Yeah. He went after him and that might have been and it handled himself very well. I don't look for a fight, but um, you know with the way I play and um, you know my my values, it's, I, I just thought it was you know, a high hit, especially on my landlord. So I, that, that's me paying my rent for the two months I've been living there. So, no, it's, uh, no I just thought um, you know, somebody took advantage of a teammate, and that's you know, what I've always been raised to do is look out for my teammates and, and put the teammates ahead of myself. Countering back, White gets it across, gets it back, sends it in, save his made loose puck, scores! Kachuk scores! Dad's in the house, he loves that! The kids are all Right, it's episode 51 of Making Sense of the Sends. I'm Ross Levitan alongside, well, on Skype with Chris Parliament. How's it going, boys? And Brandon Pillar. Hello, everybody. To answer your question, Chris, it's going very well because for the second time this season, the Senators have won two straight games. Now, it's been far too long since our last episode. The Sends have a 6-6-2 six, six and two record since our last pod, and Mark Stone has 20 points. Uh, is that good? Uh, but we're going to start with the kids because... As I mentioned, they are probably better than all right. And this is a pro Drake Batherson podcast. You've known that since the World Juniors, even before that. And he's had quite the start to his NHL career. He absolutely has. And it's looking like he's picking up on the program. Pro game right where he left off in the American League coming in. And they joke about it on broadcast saying all this kid does is score goals. Well, he's just putting up points wherever he goes. He's got that knack. And I think the biggest thing for him right now is playing the game with speed and in open ice. There was a nice play in the neutral zone last night where he chipped a puck off the boards when he was right in the middle of the ice. He's just looking for open space, trying to make it work. Ross, you pointed out on Twitter, he had a nice bumper play through the neutral zone leading to the first Matt Duchesne goal. Then the second Matt Duchesne goal. I mean, if you look for open space and you put it there, playmakers are going to make plays. Well, that was so eerily reminiscent of Mark Stone's first point as a senator yeah. in the playoffs in 2012 against the Rangers. That actually turned out to be the game-winning goal. It was a one nothing game, I believe, game six, maybe game five, where he just feathered it to Jason Spezza, who finished it off. And oh, the parallels can be drawn from those two players. And if he can be half as good as Stone, oh, my God, the Sens are, have a star on their hands in the making. And guys, thank God that this uh, group of rookies and prospects is coming up this year. Because remember last year with Boucher's famous quote, you don't give uh, steak to a baby, all these things. He was really easing them in. Batherson was on uh, one of the power play units in his first game, the first power play opportunity available. And then he scores on the power play right off the faceoff. Like they're not easing him in at all, which is great because I think they're realizing this isn't a kind of prospect that you let linger on your fourth line a little bit and only play a couple minutes. You get him on your top six because his offensive uh, production, who knows where Batherson could end up by the end of this season with the pace he's on. And there's never been a time he hasn't lived up to the hype. World Juniors, 
starting to play pro hockey now coming in three points in two games and Ross I just want to talk about that comparison to Stone because let's not forget in our interview with Drake Batherson he said he was telling pro teams in interviews before the draft his player comparable was Mark Stone Smart well move. fast forward boys here we are yeah exactly and only not getting a chance to play with Stone because he looks so comfortable with two other rookies on the Ottawa Senators and that's Brady, I almost said Keith, who was in attendance last night. Kachuk, we saw him drop the gloves on uh, Thursday against the Detroit Red Wings. And Colin White, who I think has taken the most strides this season. He just looks so confident with the puck. And, I mean, those guys combined, just what do you see their ceiling as? Like, do they even have one? Well, I mean, they're playing top-line minutes right now with a guy that knows how to play the game every way in Mark Stone. And I think the biggest learning or the biggest point of emphasis I want to put on Colin White's game right now is, yes, he looks comfortable with the puck, but his hungriness to win the one-on-one battles I think has been his biggest difference. Before you were seeing a loose puck, and he was start kind of starting to get back. Yeah, he's saying, hesitant. I'm, exactly. Now... There's been so many times in the neutral zone where Mark Stone takes a puck away and it's rolling through the neutral zone and the play's about to go the other way and Colin White's the guy leading that drive, getting to the net, getting to the puck, sorry, getting it across the blue line. And then he doesn't stop moving his feet once he gets there. I think the cycle game has been working well for that line as well. And points off the rush. All three of them seem to have a nose for the net right now and it's working out really well. And I mean, again, look at the look at the difference in the culture mindset from uh this year to last season Colin White's a perfect example he was sheltered on that fourth line remember that one playoff game what did he get three shifts or something it was like three total minutes of ice time just ridiculous like only coming out in uh, minute 58 yeah like offensive zone draws against the other team's fourth line like but now you've seen him in a position where he's like okay uh rookies and prospects they have a chance to develop here Boucher's not going to sit me if I don't have one good uh, clean zone entry. So he can be a little more aggressive with the puck, and that's starting to show. I mean, he's got 12 points already. And let's also understand that it seems every year whoever plays with Mark Stone puts up points. Think back to Zach Smith's 25-goal season, to Pajot's 40-point season when he was on the line there. And that's the common denominator, really. And Ho-Hum... Mark Stone now leads the league in takeaways with 28. I mentioned he's got 20 points in 14 games since our last episode, including a five-point night. I I forget. That was against New Jersey there, the 7-3 win. And he's just a a star, and they have to get this guy signed long-term. It doesn't matter what you're paying. You're getting your money's worth, not only for what he can do with the Steel Snipe Selly, the Mark Stone story, but also with what he does to make his teammates better. And Ross, you mentioned that he's now leading the league in takeaways and in our, if you want to call it, production meeting this morning when we just talk over coffees. We were talking, how funny would it be to see a stat where takeaways leading to points? And I think Mark Stone would be far and away leading that category as well. The amount of times he just picks off the puck and it's going with speed in the neutral zone again, unbelievable. His numbers would be astronomical, I think. Well, you, you think back, and this is piggybacking off of Callum Fraser, who covers the Sens for NHL.com. 
He said that might be the mar- most Mark Stoniest goal of our all time last night. But it made me think back, and I'll ask you guys as well what your favorite Mark Stone goal is. But for me, it's always that one against Philly that clinched the playoff spot in the Hamburglar run. Couldn't tell you what defenseman was breaking out of the zone, but he was head up looking to make a play, and all of a sudden the puck was behind him with Mark Stone having it on a string. And that's what I thought back to, but last night's was pretty unreal. Yeah, I remember I was I was watching a video on my phone of the after the game, Matt Duchesne coming in. Great move, and then to stay forehand to go five-hole there, most guys go back in. I was like, wow, what a goal, eh? My dad goes, yeah, but, I mean, Mark Stone's not... Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was a, a nice goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of talk going on the power play as well, eh, Parley? Like, they've been... Everyone thought that they were going to have trouble scoring at five-on-five five and on the power play, but it seems to be the opposite, although they were, for the most part, held in check against um, in their game last night. Well, right now, I think the power play is coming into the zone with so much speed that they've, they're have they catching teams on their heels. And it's been a point of emphasis right now for the Senators to be on the puck with speed and going the other way whenever they get the chance, turning pucks around. But right now, it's Thomas Shabbat using his skating ability. Last night, they pointed out, it seems like he's picking up speed when he's gliding. He's got that elite skating where it seems like he can just go faster when he's not even moving his feet. Bobby Ryan's moving through the zone with speed. And that's so important, gaining the zone with the clean zone entry, but not just stopping, creating plays that are going to the net. And they're getting power plays where they're getting six, seven, eight shots on goal. And that's the type of power play that's going to find effectiveness. So right now, I think that's the key to victory for the Senators on the power plays. Come into the zone with speed and just shoot the puck on net. Yeah, and the Sens power play has just been incredible. And it seemed like you knew they always had the tools to have a good power play. They just couldn't quite put it together. Uh, for me, it was they, they were always trying to force too many cross-eyes passes, and they were just getting broken up, and they were trying to be too aggressive with the passes. So I think they've done a better job this year. And the key to the power play for me is using your defensemen. Uh, I don't know if they still lead in this stat category, but a little while ago, they were the team with the most uh, points by defensemen. If they, they don't still, still lead, with, it's still close. With 53 yeah, so, and that, that comes from your power play, using your defensemen to uh, start the offense. Uh, Chris, you, you want to chime in? Yeah, I think the Senators, it's been showing a lot on the power play, and it's just, in turn, there's, produ- there's point production there. But even in five-on-five five play, the Senators, they're, they're not strung and leashed to the blue line. They're doing such a good job of shrinking the zone and keeping the cycle play alive along the boards. And that's Cody Cece. All those guys jumping in where usually you'd see him kind of backing out of the zone, coming in and keeping that offensive zone time and puck possession. They're able to keep the puck in the zone for longer. And that in turn, yeah, if you're wrapping the puck around the boards, firing it out front afterwards, getting the defensive moving around on the other team, I think that's what's leading the defensive point production. And not only that, but Bobby Ryan's kind of been a punching bags in the last few years for Sens fans, but... He's got six power play points, and I really like what he brings on the power play. He he doesn't have the speed, as as everyone knows, so five-on-five is a little bit tougher for him, but he still has the hands on the outside, and he, I thought he's done a really good job of creating space on the half wall and allowing Shabbat to maybe be a little more open at the point and allow him to maybe rover a little bit more. Um, so I'm really happy with, with what Bobby Ryan's been bringing to the table, especially on the power play. Yeah, and say what you want about Bobby Ryan's health. You know, that's 
honestly, it's mostly just unfortunate. Like, what can you do when your same hand keeps getting injured over and over? And that's so key to scoring goals. So physically, like you said, Ross, his speed is kind of slowed down too. Physically, he he may not be what he is, but he let's not forget he's a goal scorer at heart. This guy knows where to go to be open. He knows how to shoot the puck when he has the chance. He he's like a Danny Heatley type, you know, like just a guy that just lived to score goals. So he's always going to have that if you put him in the positions where he can succeed. And I think that's been happening. I think this could be one of Bobby's best years in Ottawa. And he's shown some speed through the neutral zone as well. And last night when Andy made that play and came out and just fired the puck up to the through the neutral zone to Kachuk, he flipped it back on a bumper play to Bobby Ryan. I don't think we would have seen that in the past couple of years. Bobby's got a lot of confidence holding the puck right now. That one move through the neutral zone, and he's in the offensive zone. And I think if you keep it simple and keep your feet moving, you're going to find success, and Bobby Ryan's learning that. And, of course, all the criticism about Bobby Ryan has been on the ice. Seems like a great mentor to these younger players. And these young American kids, they grew up with Bobby Ryan being an Olympian. So it's a a good veteran presence to have around for these young guys. We mentioned that they lead all rookie scoring in the league, but the numbers are staggering. They have 18 goals, 17 assists, and 35 points total among the rookies. So that's Drake Batherson, Brady Kachuk, Colin White, uh, Maxime Lajoie, I think Formington would also count there as well. Um, the next closest is Chicago. So they have 22 points. So you're like, okay, already a 13-point gap. Get this, Chicago, 19 of those 22 points are assists. So only three wow. goals. 18 goals by rookies at this point of the year. That's unbelievable. But I want to talk now about one of those rookies' roommates, and that's Craig Anderson, who's played 18 of the 20 games for the Ottawa Senators. Let that sink in. That is an unbelievable pace. And goal scoring has been an issue. We're going to get to the third period problems in a bit. But to win a 2-1 game on Thursday against Detroit and Craig Anderson with two penalty shot saves in the third period, are you kidding me? This guy's been a brick wall. Uh, If you guys want to touch in on how unreal Andy's been at times. Of course, with the defensive lapses, there have been times where he's looked pedestrian, but... What a rock back there. And he's making those old-fashioned saves on those penalty shots, keeping one pad to the ice and the other one up. He has been solid, and the boys love it. You can tell by that video of them all reacting on the bench. Twitter had a little bit of fun with that one. But if you're finding success and you're over 500 like the Senators are, you got to look at these numbers and look at Craig Anderson. They're 24th in the league with shots four with 29.7, and they're obviously worse in the league. 38.4 shots allowed per game. And that's while the Senators are leading the league in block shots. There's a lot of rubber flying at Craig Anderson right now, and he's holding his own. I'm not sure this is a winning formula. Keep your starter going this much. He hasn't been practicing much. But hopefully they can uh, find a way to get McKenna, Condon, anyone in there to give him a little relief. Well, the reason why he hasn't been practicing much is because he's faced, I believe, the most shots in the NHL. But I got it for you. Perfect. He not only, yeah, he's faced a lot of rubber, partly he's faced the most rubber. And by far, you got Craig Anderson. Uh, Let me guess second. Is it uh, John Gibson? It is. You've got Craig Anderson at 588 saves and Gibson is right behind him, but with 543 saves. So that's that's about over 40 saves difference. And we're talking about, if not, 
Well, no, I don't think he is the oldest goalie, but top three oldest goalies in the league, right up there with Hank and uh, Lungfist and Ryan Miller. And so Black. you're you're putting you're putting the guys that uh, a guy like Anderson who is this old, he's having to face the most shots. And don't get me wrong, he's the kind of goalie that uh, thrives off of stopping a lot of pucks and kind of getting in the zone. But geez, this is this is getting to a boiling point where it's getting out of control. Like when when is Anderson gonna break down? Uh, that's a very good question. Hopefully he doesn't, but if you look just in the third period, he's averaging almost 14 shots against in the third period. The Sens have given up 271 shots in the final frame. They've put 185 on net, so they're almost being outshot by 100. And, and those period. shots, Ross, like you can add a little bit of extra intensity to those shots because almost all those shots could change the game in the third period. So those are extra stressful, usually higher quality shots too. So there's there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of times too where I think the Senators, they're playing with such pace in the first two periods and then they almost drop into a 1-4 like we saw last night where it's just all out defending. I think that's a little bit because Brady Kachuk, uh Drake Batson, all these rookies aren't being given those late game minutes, which I agree with. Sometimes there's learning curves, and when you have the lead, you want to get guys like Mark Stone, Zach Smith, guys out there to defend. But they get tired, and that wears down. And you mentioned there's more intensity on those shots on net. There's more intensity in those defensive minutes late in the game. I think that's a big reason. The lack of depth, veteran depth on the team up front is causing them to maybe be a little slower than the opposition late in games because of the pace they're playing with in the first 40. And I think that's leading to the lopsided shots. Well, Chris, I agree with you in, in the sense of Mark Stone and Zach Smith should be getting those late uh, game minutes. But how, what are your feelings on Tom Pyatt and Ma- uh, Magnus PRV getting those late game minutes? PRV played over 16 minutes yesterday. Over 16 minutes. If That's we're going to harp on them, if we're going to harp on them, we need to acknowledge that that was the guess, best game that those two have played last night. I think they had six shots on net between oh, the bar. two of them, and they were scoring chances as well. Zach Smith a couple times was, was hunched over looking to the rafters, thinking he could have scored, and there was a couple chances out front. I believe Tom Pyatt hit a post from some pretty good real estate out front. Right well, now, they're least... a little... They're a little snake bitten right now, but at some point you got to realize that these numbers are pretty staggering, showing that maybe you got to move to somebody else here. Well, yeah, uh, Tom Pye's still looking for his first point. He hasn't recorded a point in 25 games going back to March 29th of last year. He's actually stuck at 99 career points, which is uh, fairly interesting. Maybe that that elusive 100th is uh, around the corner. But It'll I, be I a game winner. I certainly do like having Zach Smith down there more so than Nick Paul or Max McCormick um, because that puts a lot more pressure on Tom Pyatt. They were playing Tom Pyatt at center, and I was really not a fan of that because, A, he wasn't winning any face-offs. I think he was 35% on the year or something. He was even out there in late games taking face-offs. That's garbage. That shouldn't be happening. Um, So now that you have Zach Smith, who I guess is for now a centerman until at least Pajot's back, Side note, great to see Pajot back on the ice. We know he's still a ways away, but he's been skating, it looks like, almost every day. So that's going to be a good problem to have down the middle when when he gets back. But I don't think Tom Pyatt should see another game at center. So I, I do like that uh, Zach Smith's back there. And that's an old-school style of coaching, I think, from Guy Boucher. The days where you can just kind of fall on the dot and scoop the puck back, shovel it back, like the Nate Thompson excavating company that we all loved. 
Uh, I think those days are over. We saw Kyle Turris try and do it against Sidney Crosby in the playoffs a couple of years ago, throw your foot in, then win the draw. You got to just win a draw straight now, and centermen yeah. need to play the middle. And I, I agree completely. Tom Pyatt shouldn't be taking those draws, especially defensive zone draws with less than three to go. No, but uh, one guy who I want taking every draw whenever he can is Matt Duchesne because he's in his career he's almost up at 60%. Um, he's just been an animal and shout out first off 500 points, 501 points, stick taps for him. Um, three point night. And I'm sure every sense fan remembers how terrible he, he started out in Ottawa. The whole team was a tire fire. So I went yeah. back when he started producing. And if you go back to the final 44 games of last season and you tack on the first 20 games of this year. So in Matt Duchesne's last 64 games, he has 28 goals, 39 assists for 67 points. So that's a pace that you look at that first rounder and everyone loves to talk about, especially in the heart of enemy territory where we spend our time. But I don't know how you get a player better than a point per game without giving up something of value. Yeah, and like you said, Ross, he had a slow start when the Sens first acquired him. And that was really tough, too, because on the flip side, Kyle Turris was lighting it up when he started with Nashville. But they kind of flipped uh, flipped situations where Matt, uh, Matt Duchesne started heating up and then Turris started dying down again. Um, but talking about how he's pretty much a point per player, if you go through his game log, there's often times where he's getting three points a game easily. And it's almost every night at least he's getting one assist. So this guy's a key cog to the Sens offense. And... I really hope he re-signs here because he's a great number one center option. I don't think he's really that elite number one center that uh, a lot of teams really hope for, but he's one of the best centers that the Senators have had since Jason Spezza, I would say. Yeah, and in a possession-driven league, you can talk about point production all you want. But Ross, his numbers this year, he's 54.3% in the dot. There's nothing that helps possession numbers more like winning faceoffs. He's obviously doing that. His ability to hold the puck for that extra second is what I think makes him close to elite pillar. I agree with you where he can take that extra second, make a defenseman hesitate and then lay that six to eight inch, maybe knee high saucer pass right on the tape. We saw it a couple times last night, his ability to come into the zone with so much speed, turn on a dime and let the rest of the team join the rush is a huge part of his point production because he almost creates odd man rushes out of nothing just with his speed, agility, and the stop starts that we all know is what makes a great player in the NHL. And having scoring wingers around him like Ryan Dezingo, who's really developing into his own, his next goal will actually be his 100th, all with the Ottawa Senators. So just while we're on milestones, we got some more stick taps to give out. Dion Phaneuf, who is, of course, a part of the playoff run for the Ottawa Senators, played in his 1,000th game on Saturday night. Any good I, Dion memories? I, I mean, the Sally against Boston in the yeah, first round last year. Yeah, that's the first year. one I thought I'll, of. I'll always remember that. That little but, jump. That little jump. But nothing, yeah. nobody plays a harder game in the NHL than a defensive defenseman playing big-time minutes, and he did that for a lot of years on a lot of different teams. Now, obviously, he's slowing down a little bit because he's reached 1,000 games but those are some hard minutes, and I don't think those guys get enough love. And he took some some flack while he was in Toronto, to say the least. So I think him getting there is a big-time milestone. He's one of the be- biggest vets in the league, I would say. So letting him get to that point, he's still throwing the body around. 
Another uh, another memory that comes to mind is uh, against Detroit last year. He caught somebody in the trolley tracks. I don't remember who, but that was probably his biggest hit in the Sens uniform. Well, don't forget. Uh, uh, I always forget who it was, but he absolutely leveled Ryan a kid Ross. in Pittsburgh. Yeah, right, right across in center ice, right near the slot. He just dummied him. That was a great Dion Phaneuf moment. But how about tough, uh, tough for Dion going from a. Uh, a falling Sens team, and then he moves to L.A. They get swept in the playoffs by the expansion team first round, and now he's on the worst team in the league again this year. Tough for Double D on there. Yeah, Makes it a little easier when you can lubricate it with $6 million. But, yeah. hey, I mean, uh, everybody earns their cash in the NHL. But another thing, another good Dion memory is Nothing gets you into the fans' hearts more when you're coming from a rival team than scrapping in your first game as a senator. So stick task to Dion for that. And uh, the silver stick, that's always an accomplishment. Happening more around the league, though. The guys we grew up watching, they're all vets now, and it's fun to see. 100%. We mentioned Jason Spezza in the last episode. But briefly, we should touch on same kind of situation as Bobby Ryan. Usually when we're talking about him, it's all negative. But guys, Cody Cece's looked really comfortable in the last few games, hasn't he? And I think that has a lot to do with the Senators not playing that rigid 1-3-1 system anymore. It did work for a while there, and there was some success there. Obviously, there's been a lot of moving parts since then. I think Cody CC's gotten a little more freedom in his game now. He and Max Lejoie are getting a little more comfortable playing together, opening up spots for each other to jump into the rush. We saw Max Lejoie getting points early on. Cody CC's jumping in, and that's a goal scorer's goal from the slot last yep. night, picking a corner off the iron, listen to it sing. We all love that. It was a nice goal last night, and he does look a lot more confident now. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? This is a big year for Cody CC. Coming off that arbitration uh, deal, he's really got to prove himself, and he's got to prove to – well, the center's organization already is – is pretty sure what they have in him. Obviously, they're confident and they want to keep him around. But Sens fans, and I mean us on Sens Central, we've been pretty skeptical of him um, pretty much since he since he got here. He's had a tough time, but he's starting to turn it around, like you said, Chris. And this could be a very, very important uh, year for Cody Cece. Let's see what kind of contract he gets next season. Well, we, we've always heard like the, the word potential being thrown out with Cody Cece. Yep. And... You look at it, he's 20th all-time, and I know that's not super high, but he's 20th all-time in games played as an Ottawa Senator. So at some point, potential needs to turn into results. And, I mean, steps in the right direction. His next point, speaking of milestones, his next point will be his 100th of his career. Wow. Uh, the minus 41 doesn't look as good in his career stats, but um, if he can continue this trend, I mean, he's going in the right direction, and they do say that defensemen take a little bit longer to develop. Don't Definitely. be don't be fooled by the what do you want to call it? unbelievable development or very quick development of Thomas Shabbat. But most defensemen do take a lot more time. And uh, yeah, so stick to, shout out to uh, to Cody Cece on a pretty good start. And before we get to Prairie Fire, we got to go around for some prospects. Of course, Pilsy and I have been in Belleville a few times in the last couple of weeks. I took last night off, had other commitments, so. Pilsy was down there to watch the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, and Sound Tiger is not a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bridgeport Sound Tigers, we we figured that out last <laughs> time. But Friday night, we were both there against the Marlies, and the forgotten kid, he got on the score sheet. Yeah, Logan Brown got his first goal. Uh, good on him, and especially 
Like you said, Ross, the forgotten kid. I mean, this is a high draft pick with with size and potential, and he had a really good junior career in the OHL. So there's a lot of expectations for Logan Brown, uh, especially coming into Belleville this season with all the good prospects around him. But now those guys are kind of gone. You've got Batherson is up here. Um, Kachuk didn't even go to Belleville like some people were uh, talking about. Uh, Lajoie is up so he's kind of still left behind so he's got a lot to prove so great for him to get his confidence up and get a get a goal so quickly yeah and he's been knocked down a couple times we talked about it earlier this year with a couple injuries up top it looked like he would have that chance to hop up and get into the big on the big clubs lineup but then injuries set him back again and he came in hot he was coming off of a great playoff run last year with I believe the Kitchener Rangers who made some noise in the O last year and then coming into this season, we talked to Joey Decord. Well, you guys did. And he said that he was one of the toughest guys to battle against in dev camp. So this is a guy that has some respect. People know that he's the older guy. Was this his third or fourth development camp this year? I believe his fourth. So he's been mm-hmm. around the block a couple times. Maybe his third. I think third. But, third. but he knows the Sen system, what they're trying to do down there. And I think this is another great chance for man to get his... Uh, his hands on some younger players and give them some opportunities to go out there and produce. Yeah. And that was his first game of the year because of injuries. And we mentioned the forgotten one. If you follow TSN, they put out the core four under 24 and last year, Logan Brown was ranked second in the core four out of the entire organization under 24 this Mm. year. They put out the list. The Sens as a team moved up from 23 to 10 Logan Brown is not only in the core four, but they did an extended top 10 for the Canadian teams. He's not even in the top 10. Like, you kidding me? There's a lot of there's a lot of great uh, players added, prospects added, pieces, if you will. And, you know, it's tough for him with injuries to kind of have his feet in the mud there, watch the other guys do well. You know, he's following sense prospects, seeing the guys putting up big points all around yeah. the league. And, He's thinking, when am I going to get out there? I'm sure he was uh, chomping a bit to get going there. And hey, point per game guy. So let's see if it keeps going. Yeah, and just to let everyone in on the list, it goes one Thomas Shabbat, who has an A rating, which means that they'll be either a top end defenseman or a top six forward. Brady Kachuk also with an A rating. He's number two. Then some B ratings, uh, a little low on a few of these guys, I would think. Maxine Lajoie, third. Drake Batherson fourth, and then the extended one, they have Alex Fermentin at five, and Jacob Bernard Docker at six. And then the C-level prospects, which this is a joke. If you're telling me that Josh Norris at seven and Colin White at eight are C-level prospects, I need to have a chat with you. And Johnny Tyconic, I love him, outgoing defenseman, but he shouldn't be on this list yet, and absolutely not at the expense of Logan Brown, Philip Gustafson, Philly franchise, who... Has looked overwhelmed at times, but keep in mind, 20-year-old goalie at the AHL level, you look back at Braden Holpe, even Carey Price, you look at uh, Carter Hart also this season struggling in the American Hockey League. It'll be an adjustment period, but I'm still very confident in in Philip Gustafson's uh, capabilities. He rounds out the top 10 for the Ottawa And don't forget too, Ross, he's coming over from Sweden, so he's still even just... uh... Uh, getting accustomed to North American ice and the North American game for Philly franchise. So I'm not taking his numbers too too heavily now. We've seen him play. He has looked a little stressed and overwhelmed at times, but his fundamentals are definitely there. And I think he's a guy with a lot of confidence. He's played well in the past. 
if he continues to get the chances uh, to start like he has, especially with Hogberg being out and Condon doing who knows what down in Belleville, but uh, he's been getting the chances. So I think he's going to turn things around here soon. And while we're on the Drake Bath or the prospect talk, I just want to give another little shout out to Drake Batherson. I saw a fun stat the other day that he's the first player from the 2017 draft taken in the third or fourth round to get a point. So a guy that kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of teams and we all know his story. It's cool for him to be the first one to get on the board out of his kind of peer group in his draft. Yeah, and it would be third round or later, but for some reason, and I'm just going to call it mismanagement, the Sebastian Ajo, no, not the one who's setting the league on fire, the defenseman, was taken in the sixth round. He has 22 games for some reason. And then the only other one, Dylan Ferguson from the seventh round has one game, and that was in an emergency situation where Vegas, Vegas was on their yeah. fifth goalie. So Wearing uh, his junior fourth, helmet. Though, yeah, it still sounds good, though. Yeah, I and saw, then was, saw Sebastian Ajo uh, with the Bridgeport Sound Tigers last night. There you go. So those 22 games are not even in this year. And uh, a couple other notes for prospects, a couple of friends of the show, we want to say congratulations to Johnny Gruden, who scored his first goal in NCAA hockey. He's got one goal, four assists, for good for five points in 14 games. And guys, I think Arizona State is the story of college hockey. They just beat Harvard in overtime on Saturday night. Uh, there's that Johnny Walker who... Joey Decord mentioned was a good friend of his uh, on the show uh, doing the row celebration after another big overtime win. And Joey's stats are sparkling a 928 save percentage, a 222 goals against average in 14 games. So they were just ranked in the top 25 for the first time in program history. And that's a trend that I'm, we're going to be keeping our eye on all season. And nothing puts the party in the number one party school in the nation like a winning hockey team. Are you kidding me? What an atmosphere that would be right now. And they're all hanging out by pools, living life, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So congratulations to those guys. Uh, Rudolph Balser still looking solid in the American Hockey League. Uh, his point production's dripped just a little bit uh, since the call-up of, of Drake Batherson. Uh, so I'm talking specifically this weekend. Um, yeah. But a, a, another guy who's... Uh, getting some great reps down there is Christian Willinen. Yeah, and just uh, we'll get back to Willinen, Ross. Uh, I know you've got something you want to uh, brag about with Willinen, but uh, with Balsers, like you said, when Batherson got called up, the last couple of games that Balsers have played without Batherson, I haven't noticed him at all. He's been very reliant on Batherson, and when um, when those two were together, they were dominant, and they were making such creative plays on the ice their the tic-tac-toe plays they had going the chemistry they had going was just phenomenal so I think Balsers really might have an adjustment period of a week or two playing with guys like Schlappick or maybe Nick Paul where he's got to adjust his game a little because him and Batherson were a fire combo so hopefully Balsers can figure it out with some of the other guys and get back uh, up to producing some points for the Belleville Senators and you've got guys like Logan Brown coming back in the lineup now I think yep. you're gonna see Maybe Rudolph Balser has become more of a trigger guy this year with having the big body guys using their strength and size and the long sticks to get get go into the corners, win the puck, and get him into a good shooting area. Yeah, and uh, like we were talking about before with Christian Willine, and he's looked really good. Ross and I have both been very impressed by him. And that Marley's game where they were just trading goals back and forth 
overtime period was just about to start, and I was feeling pretty good that Nick Paul was going to get the winner. Ross had no doubt in his mind that it was going to be Christian Willinen, and sure enough, Willinen sniped a beautiful goal. And take a look at that goal, too. Watch his pivot when he accepts the pass. Oh, my God. The feet on this kid is incredible. And he was the guy that we had uh, slotted to be in the, uh, up in the show with the Sens. But Max Lejoie took his spot. So hopefully Willinen can kind of push back and try to compete and try to get back up to Ottawa. Yeah, I completely agree with with everything you said there. I I called it. Yeah, you can say that. Um, but <laughs> say that. no, his his feet, his skating are elite. I love the confidence he shows with the puck. He's not afraid to make a play at the blue line. Very similar to uh, Thomas Shabbat, both left-handed shots. And if you look at rookie scoring in the American Hockey League, I know it it helps that um, he did get a five-point night in the same game. That uh, Drake Batherson uh, had the five, uh, the six-point night, but in terms of defensive rookie scoring, the only ones who have more than him are top first-round picks: Ole Uolevi and Eric Brandstrom. Uolevi has 13 points. Brandstrom has 12, and then Christian Wolainen is right there with 11. So and keep in mind, he's only played 14 games, so he's a couple games behind those guys, probably. Yeah, well, there you have it. So I don't think it'll be long before he gets another chance. He just had a a cup of coffee. I think it was just the one game he played um, on the road trip, the Arizona game, if if I'm not mistaken. With Rodewald, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they had a nice little vacation in the desert. And uh, luckily, they weren't in the Uber. I don't think we really need to touch on that. It's been covered um, by pretty much everybody in uh, the last episode. So let's get to somebody who, if he was an Uber driver, would absolutely record his customers and send it over to Prairie Fire. Prairie Fire. Prairie Fire. What is Prairie Fire? Good to be back. It's been a while since our last episode. This is the last time we recorded, so there's lots of stuff that has taken place in the NHL since then. First one I want to touch on, our coaches in the hot seat. Roscoe, who do you think is uh, the next coach that could be on his way out? And then to double dip, because you know I love to do that, where do you think Joel Quenville ends up? Well, I, well to answer the second part first, I think Joel Quenville is going to wait for the right opportunity. He's signed next year as well under $6 million. So to sit around, he, he took the job in Chicago coming off, I believe he left Colorado in the off season and went straight to Chicago. So he's been coaching consecutively for at least 10 years. So why not sit around, earn $6 million and then take a job that's right for you. One job that I think he would like is a job that he's had before. And that's in St. Louis, which leads me to the second part of the question. And Mike Yo's seat is getting ever so hot. And although it's good for Pilsy and I, when we're driving to Belleville in this weather to have the seat heaters on for Mike Yo. Not so good. They made so many offseason moves getting Tyler Bozak and Ryan O'Reilly. That's not a, a team that's that should be 7, 8, and 3. This next week is going to be crucial for them. And the seat was already hot, and then they laid an egg last night. They got shut out and really were dominated by the San Jose Sharks. Shout out Eric Carlson. First goal is a shark. But that's not what they want to see in their organization. I think Doug Armstrong is going to have a tough decision to make here coming up. Let's not forget, though, they got to sign their franchise defenseman in the offseason as well. So what a time to make a change in St. Louis. All right, so Roscoe, 
You could not have helped segue into my better question with that last little clip you threw in there. And Parley, since you seem so eager to talk, I'll toss this one to you, pal. Are you surprised that it took about a quarter of the way into the season for Eric Carlson to pot his first goal as a San Jose Shark? Well, I mean, we hear about Stanley Cup hangovers and all the things that go into a season that make it so daunting and all the miles on the legs. Well, last year... Eric Carlson pretty much went through the ringer with anything possible on and off the ice. His situation was never stable. He was on a losing team. He was the first guy to have a microphone on his face after practice every day. And then a big move. We don't have to get into what happened in his personal life. This is a guy that went to San, to San Jose and needed to change. Got it. But that's a lot of change all at once from going to a franchise defenseman where literally the system was built around you to a place where you're not the number one guy on that back end now. It took a lot, a little getting used to. I think he was a little bit snake bitten. A couple times he could have thrown a puck off a post, get a bad bounce, whatever. There's a lot of relief on his face last night. And don't be surprised if the floodgates open and when you see the old EK65 from now on. And I just wanted to add a little bit to that. We had Doug Wilson on Leafs Lunch last week, and they mentioned the slow start. And he had a pretty good comparison. He said when PK Subban came from the east to the west, he had a slow start. So looking up his stats, in Subban's first 15 games with Nashville, he only scored three goals. He had eight points, but he was a minus seven. And those numbers started adjusting back to the norm. So there is an adjustment period. And, of course, as Parley mentioned, lots of uh, a tough summer and tough year for Eric Carlson. So, yeah, expect those points, the floodgates to open here. Now, Pills, after so many episodes where I ended up sewering you with just the most ridiculous or the toughest questions I think I'd just give you a nice, some nice low-hanging fruit today on this Sunday. Who's been the most electrifying rookie for you to watch? However, I'm going to throw a wrinkle in there because I, I know that you're going to say Brady Kachuk. So <sighs> I'll maybe let you fawn over Brady a little bit, but then I also want somebody outside of Brady Kachuk. Purdy, you said you're going to give me the easy one and the low-hanging fruit, and then you take it away from me. <laughs> Obviously, the answer is, and with no bias whatsoever, Brady Kachuk has been the most exciting rookie. I mean, you've got a guy that's flying around up there. He's making his presence known in uh, in front of the net. And how about that fight against Justin Abdelkader? you got to love paying your rent with your fists. That's a good way to do it. If only we could all do it that way. Um, but... I'm I'm not even going to dive into any of the other rookies because it's just oh. it, Kachuk has just been so good. Like I wish I could tell myself months ago when I was devastated when the Sens didn't take Zadina and took uh, Kachuk instead. I wish I could feel how I feel about Kachuk now in that moment and just be happy about it because that was the right pick. All right, boys. Well, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, Enjoy the rest of the show. I've got to go hook up my team of dogs so I can mush them off to work through a few feet of snow out here in the flatlands. Unreal birds will catch up <laughs> soon, brother. Yeah, so if you guys have any extra bones laying around or like some steak that might be a couple of days old, you can just fire it in the mail to me. Uh, like I'll have to put on uh, the old snowshoes, go walk to the mailbox, but the dogs will appreciate it. Boys, how did we talk about prospects and not talk about Alex Formanton? Back in London, he got the A, and he's playing some big-time minutes. I was actually able to go see him. I was sitting in a suite. I had my own bartender. It was a good time. And Ooh. Alex Formanton looked... You drink? Couple. Couple. <laughs> couple of colas. But Alex <laughs> Formanton looked great. His skating ability. Right now, I think that he's a little bit... It's, there's taking some time to get used to playing back with the London club. But right now, it seems like he's struggling to get the puck in open space. A lot of times he was gone, and players were that 
half second behind and getting him the puck in open space. So I think that'll be an adjustment period for him to maybe play a possession game more than just an A to B style, use his speed to win game or to win pucks. But he's looking good when he has the puck. Playing top line minutes, of course, down there. He's playing with some great players. Evan Bouchard taking tenth overall this year. Adam Bockfist, fifth by Chicago. So he's got some talent down there around him, not to mention Liam Foodie, who's playing on the power play with him, another first rounder from this year. So he's got some talent around him to make some plays. He's taking draws on the first penalty kill unit, which I thought was interesting. And he actually just scored a shorthanded goal this weekend. So he's getting a lot of minutes down there in a lot of different situations. And that's exactly what you want to see out of a guy like that to add a couple more tools to his one already elite skating tool. Yeah, and we hope to see him at the World Juniors for Team Canada in a huge role. Um, we we briefly mentioned Josh Norris, but he's got 15 points, I believe, in eight games. Um, so, yeah, look out for him on Team USA as well. But back to the big club. Um, the next game, they're welcoming Mike Hoffman back to the CTC for the first time. Um, of course, his, his probably most pre- prevalent memory in that building has to be Game 6. Uh, against the Pittsburgh Penguins, that that release, and he's been using that a lot recently. Currently has 18 points on a 15-game point streak, the longest consecutive point streak since Danny Heatley in 2005-2006 had a 22-game point streak. What a wagon that line was. Heater on a heater. The the pizza line. Um, And, Ross, I'm going to be honest. I'm not surprised Hoffman's been lighting it up like this. A change of scenery seemed like something that he sort of needed, especially with all the, all the off-ice stuff that was going on. And you know what? I bet he's just loving it in Florida. You got great weather. You got not as much pressure, especially oh, after... Tax-free. Yeah, tax-free. Let's not forget that. Biz Nasty would not be happy if we didn't mention that. <laughs> um, but he he's in a situation now where that's a really good Florida Panthers team. And you know what? There's There's something to be said about taking pressure off to... It's it's not a packed house in there. You're not facing uh, 10 to 20 media members after games. So you can just kind of focus on playing hockey. And I think that's a good move for him. And uh, it sucks to see see a guy like him, a great goal scorer that the Sens should have hold, held on to uh, be successful. But I'm pretty confident the Sens are going to spank the Panthers when they come to town. Or are the Sens going to Florida? No, it's a revenge game. It's in Ottawa. Oh, my God. The uh, the Panthers are done hibernating. See you later. Well, yeah, revenge game after uh, Ottawa fell 5-1 in Florida last week. And, hey, boys, put me on a line with Sasha Barkov, and I'm going to put up some points, too. The NHL players rated him the most underrated player in the game. And I think that has a lot to do with not having to put on or go face all the media. He doesn't get as much attention down there. Put me in flip-flops walking into the rink and on a line with Sasha Barkov. I'll put some points up too. Did you hear what Mike Hoffman said last week? He said Sasha Barkov is the best player he's ever played with. Was that a little shade at number 65? I don't know. Mike Hoffman also played with Daniel Alfredson, so I actually really disrespect that take. And he's played with Boro. Like, geez. (laughs) <laughs> After the game against Florida, the Sens will be on a four-game road trip starting in Minnesota to take on a surprisingly good Minnesota Wild team who find themselves high in the standings. Then they'll stop in Dallas before I'll be at the game, actually, at MSG. Senators, Rangers, so look for that. And then, 
I'll actually be the guy probably in the rafters. I may be in the top row, so you, you won't see me. And then they finish a back-to-back in Philly, and we'll try to come back before another game against the New York Rangers, but that time at the CTC before December 1st. Everyone's got that date circled on the calendar. Yep. Eric Carlson will make his return to Ottawa. That's all for us. It's episode 51 from the heart of enemy territory in downtown Toronto. When you're listening to this, it'll be November 19th, and the Sens will be hosting the Florida Panthers. You can talk to us on Twitter at Sens Central. For Chris Parliament, Brandon Pillar, I'm Ross Levitan, and go Sens go.